Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our show. Today we discuss about SEO. It's not about SEO because, you know, today SEO is uh, complex and hard. But uh, today we are focusing uh, in one specific niche. Uh, it's uh, food blogging. And I'm excited to discuss this topic with Casey Marky. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, it's a big pleasure. Check out your profile, your extended experience. You know this topic. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm excited to learn more about that. Before we start, just tell more about yourself, your experience, background, and why you pay uh, so much attention with uh, this specific niche. Sure, sure. Thank you so much. Yeah, my name is Casey Marquis. I'm the founder of digital marketing agency MediaWise based in San Diego. I've been in the SEO since about 1998. Um, I've been fortunate to work within the food blogging niche since about 2015. I concentrate specifically on recipe sites. I do a lot of consultation, consulting in that area. Very, very excited to be here today, uh, uh, concentrating basically on site auditing. The good thing about the food blogging niche is it's incredibly dynamic. Google tends to push out a lot of changes in very specific niches first, food being one of them, so we can kind of get an idea of what's going on and then changes in rich snippets and structured data that tends to flow out through the rest of the knowledge graph uh, specifically. So yeah, it's, it's a exciting area to, to specialize in sp uh, specifically. Yeah, nice, nice. Uh, uh, you know, I think from my experience, it's better when you pay attention to one direction. Uh, you mm -hmm. can be much better than your competitors. Uh, for example, when uh, some specialists pay attention only to, uh, to broad audience, you know, trying to help Everyone, it's hard you know, to provide great mm -hmm. results. Uh, that's why, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I know some people who pay attention uh, with uh, only one specific type of libido to earn millions of dollars. Uh, so, uh, or uh, paying attention to health industry. But, you know, it's the first time when I, I met someone who is paying attention with uh, uh, food blogging. Can you tell mm -hmm. more about that? Uh, how to find the right strategy, for example, if someone want to get traffic uh, in this niche, uh, how to create this content strategy uh, to overcome competitors? Well, the food blogging niche is incredibly competitive, other than maybe term life insurance and online prescription drugs and maybe casinos. Uh, food blogging is incredibly competitive. There's never been more bloggers concentrating in this niche than at any other time in history. Basically, during the pandemic, everyone who had decided to want to start a food blog or or decided, hey, I'm going to get into a lifestyle or food niche, took the opportunity and and went in. Uh, food blogging is, um, you know, competitive, but it's also, they have some of the hardest working and most talented creators in the entire world. The thing about food blogging is that you really have to have the correct stack of tools to be successful. The most popular platform in the niche is WordPress, which is not a surprise. But then, of course, you'd also want to make sure that you're using a competent theme. Uh, Foodie Pro is very popular. It's, it's put forth by Feast, Feast Plugins. Uh, they have a, an actual plugin called the Feast Plugin, which provides a very uh, kind of wig. what you see is what you get opportunity for bloggers who are looking to kind of start off on the right foot as much as possible. Other themes in the in the niche include uh, Cadence, which is very popular. We also have uh, customizations on Genesis, like Restored 316. I know that uh, a couple of the ad companies, uh, like Mediavine, have pushed out their own theme, Trellis. 
not necessarily as confident as some of the options right now, but it's a it's a beta software, so you have to be always have to be careful with beta software. But it's something that they're actively working on, so that's an option as well. Once we get quality themes in place, it's really just a matter of using the best options for hosting. Unfortunately, with the competitiveness, you really don't want to start off with a very low quality or cheap host like Bluehost or a, or a SiteGround or something like that. They're just not as highest quality as you can find with other things, whether it's, uh, you know, WP Engine, which is a little bit more expensive than most, or I tend to recommend Big Scoots or even Agathon. They, they have a lot of food and lifestyle clients. Getting good, solid hosting in place, making sure that you have plenty of bandwidth, very important for passing core web vitals, which of course is a ranking factor, both on mobile and desktop, and then allowing yourself kind of an opportunity to be successful right away. For most food bloggers, it takes about a year to build up your site authority. It takes about a year to have enough content necessary to be successful on a non-social platform, especially for organic traffic. Using the right plugins, I recommend WP Rocket for catching. I recommend uh, WP Recipe Maker for recipe plugins. Other options might be tastier or great, but my top recommendation is WP Recipe Maker. Putting all that information together, uh, putting yourself in a position to be successful, very important for new and experienced food bloggers alike. Mm -hmm. Yeah, got it, got it. Yeah, valuable. Okay, uh, can you tell uh, how to compete if we have other uh, good bloggers who uh, post valuable content and uh, it's overwhelmed, for example, if uh, I want to rank keyword uh, that other bloggers posted before me a uh, hundred times. So how to overcome them, uh, how to find this right strategy and uh, uh, for example, um, I usually search for topics that have a lack of quality content, low competition, and I know that uh, my competitors ignore them, they usually uh, chase high volume. Can you tell about uh, food blogging, how to find this? Because uh, I, I don't know exactly, probably my wife uh, knows much better about this niche, uh, how to find this keyword, yeah. Well, as I would tell any blogger, whether they're starting out or they're relatively experienced, I take professional training. I always recommend taking a professional keyword course in the food and lifestyle niche. The two best courses out there right now are Cooking with Keywords uh, by Alika Shunk. She's a former audit client. I pasted over the link uh, in the chat here. I also suggest mm -hmm. the Eat Your Words, which is a, a kind of an ebook. Uh, keyword research option put forth by Laura and Sarah over at wondercooks.com. But getting a correct base for keywords research is very, very important. There's lots of tools out there. Most of the tools are, are garbage. So we really want to make sure that you're using the best stack of tools whenever possible. I tend to recommend uh, keysearch.io. Uh, Keysearch is a, or I think it's a keysearch.co. It might be. I have to check that. Keysearch is one of the few tools along with that has an actual API to the Google Keyword Planner. You can use Keysearch. You can use a free plugin like Keywords Everywhere. That's a browser extension. Otherwise, you have to stick with something like SEMrush. Maybe you can use the Hrefs tool, possibly use Rank IQ. But they don't have access to uh, the Google API. They're using what's called clickstream data. So they're, they're pulling out their data, and then they're running their own algorithms against it to make guesses based upon both competitiveness and of course, keyword volume. So usually you'd wanna use something that has a little bit more data. The good news is again, key search, very inexpensive. You can go ahead and pick that up. You can use that in conjunction with a quality course like cooking with keywords, and you could be very, very competitive very quickly because again, you have everyone trying to search for the same keywords. 
you've got an incredible influx of newer bloggers who have come onto the food stage over the last two years who are willing to invest in the best tools and courses right away, which gives them a little bit of a competitive leg up. And then you've got experienced bloggers who, you know, have been doing this for a long time, but they've never really done competent keyword research. And now they're finding that new posts that they're writing are not sticking as competitively as they were previously. And even they're finding a lot of benefit to taking some of these keyword courses now that they previously probably didn't have to avail themselves of because of the site strength that and their existing content. Mm -hmm. Yeah, got it, nice. Okay, uh, can you tell more about, for example, if I have a list of keywords, I found them uh, filtered out, some uh, not good keywords, uh, irrelevant. Uh, how to learn user intent and uh, to know which type of content do I need to create it, uh, from your experience? Because, uh, for example, I often see when uh, masters create uh, content that uh, it's not related you know, to user intent. Can you tell more about that? Because in most cases, uh, about this niche, we have uh, reviews or uh, recipes. Uh, yeah, just recipes. Uh, sorry for that. Well, you know, depending upon the intent of the keyword, that's what we're focusing on. In the food niche, you're focusing on informational intent. You're focusing on informational mm -hmm. keywords. You're not focusing on transactional. You're not focusing on social, anything. You're focusing on intentional, informational, not transactional keywords in many aspects. So these courses will really help you understand how to find those. So you can use something like, uh, again, Ahrefs. You can use SEMrush or whatever. But your keyword focus really needs to be on making sure that you're focusing on recipes that not only you have some experience with, but which, of course, as you mentioned earlier, have some earned keyword volume. They're not as competitive as others. And it's a way for you to get we'd also want to be looking at putting your own spin on those as much as possible. I think where a lot of bloggers get hung up is they'll just start publishing content on their site. You know, maybe it's of it's of interest to them, maybe their family recipes. But they do so without any, uh, you know, any any really focus on keyword research. And here they've got 50, sometimes 100 plus recipes on their site that they publish without any thought to keyword research. And they're just sitting there on the site doing absolutely nothing. They're not accumulating any popular metrics. They're, they're not generating any traffic. And that kind of large amount of, in many cases, non-optimized content, this maybe thin, non-focused content can, can hurt the site because it sapped the limited authority you have on the site to begin with. So we really wanna dial in the keyword research as much as we can from the get-go. Take a course, take the Academy. I know SEMrush is a great tool, it's a little bit pricey, but I know a lot of people share subscriptions, especially the food and lifestyle niche. Plenty of resources out there as well that will allow you to uh, kind of understand how keyword research works. We had an SEO for webinars, SEO for publishers webinar just a little while back. I'll paste over the link in there that we goes through the entire process of how to conduct keyword research, which tools work the best, major questions to ask, all of that. So definitely take uh, take advantage of that resource. Mm -hmm. um, I, I want to ask you about um, finding the right copywriter. For example, I know that many companies, webmasters, have no experience with writing, but if they want to uh, jump in this niche, can you tell uh, more, uh, for example, uh, how to find the right copywriters? For example, uh, on my blog, I usually write myself, but many companies have no time to that. They need to develop and innovate their products. So uh, it's hard for them, but they want to get this traffic. And uh, do you know some platforms or uh, freelancers or uh, any other places how to find copywriters who will provide, high, uh, create high quality content for this niche? 
Yeah, you know, I'm not a big believer in farming that out unless you really have to. Uh, there are lots of VA opportunities, uh, lots of VA platforms that exist within the food blogging niche. Most of them are complete garbage. So I don't really tend to want to okay. recommend them at scale. Uh, you know, if you, there are great people that you can look at hiring on Upwork. I have my own personal list of VAs that I recommend. I won't be sharing that on the call today, but that is certainly something that you will find if you've looked at some of the other resources we've published or if you want to contact me privately. But we find that the best option for you to find a quality VA is to go within the, the very specific communities on Facebook devoted to food and lifestyle blogging, whether it's Food Blogger Central, where it's Foodie Pro Bloggers, maybe it's Food Blogging Pro, and ask for actual referrals from people who've used VAs. Because what we don't want to do is for you to blindly go ahead and go out there and say, okay, here's a firm that's advertising uh, VA services. And then we find that the delivery, what they're providing is just not very high quality. And I could tell you that that is a struggle within the food and lifestyle niche. I'm totally all for getting help, providing yourself a little personal grace, getting help on areas that you need to. Uh, but usually it's a very hit and miss thing. So the, the good VAs are out there, but it's usually by referral from an existing blogger not from a platform mm -hmm. that you can easily just scope out yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, got it. Uh, okay, uh, let's talk about um, uh, creating content. For example, uh, if I want to uh, prepare something, uh, I need to know just ingredients. It takes time to filter out uh, the long content, you know, uh, to find these ingredients and uh, how does how long does it take, you know, to use them uh, or uh, mix them. Uh, but uh, probably I'm not the relevant audience you now uh, for this niche. Can you tell more uh, what kind of content to create? Uh, informative storytelling uh, to share more about your personal experience, tasting, uh, or just to submit features? It's enough. Well, for the, for the food and lifestyle niche specifically, we're focusing on uh, how-to content. We're focusing on recipes. We're focusing on specific recipes that a user can prepare for their family, for small groups of two, for uh, uh, special occasions, for, for holidays, whatever that may be. And putting together a recipe is definitely an art uh, that you learn to do through trial and error. Now, I've been doing this a long time, so I kind of understand what Google is looking for specifically with regards to the average recipe post. I also am very fortunate in that I have done now what is nearing hundreds of studies on usertesting.com so we can actually see what recipe post users are actually looking for. Are they looking for more process shots? Are they looking for labeled photos of the ingredients? Are they upset that there's so much storytelling? And that's honestly where the user testing comes into play. So these days when we talk about a good high quality recipe post, what we're talking about is trying to be, to show your expertise and to be detailed, but but not to write a novel. The days of having to write a word count have been over for years. We don't write to a word count. We don't need to include five or six photos of the finished dish. We don't need to have a long expose at the beginning about how this apple pie was handed down to me by my grandparents when I was living on a farm in Iowa. And these are the lessons I've learned before I get into the actual recipe post itself. It's okay to have some of your personality in there, but users have, are over having to read a thesis to get to the general content of the recipe post itself. So it's okay to have a little bit of introduction, but what we want to do is we want to get right into, here's why I'm making this recipe. This is why this, is re this recipe is better than the million of other recipes. Here's a nice labeled photo of all the ingredients so that a person can walk through the store and pick everything that they need off the shelf. 
Maybe I talk a little bit about the ingredients so that I can show my expertise. Maybe we don't have anything to say about the sugar, so we don't mention the sugar. Maybe I'm doing a French toast recipe, and I know that if I change the kind of cream cheese I use, it's going to change the richness of the dish. Well, I want to say that under the ingredients section because that shows my demonstrated expertise, and it's very valuable for the user. But I also don't need to list butter, margarine, and eggs under the ingredients section if I have nothing useful to say. That's what the recipe card is for. So mm -hmm. after we talk about the ingredients, then we move to the next section. Maybe that's the step-by-step -step instructions. I'm going to visually show the user how to make the recipe. I'd like to use process shots whenever I can. I, one, of, one of my most popular sayings, which is probably going to be emblazoned on t-shirts and hats very soon, is we always want to optimize and write for toddlers and drunk adults. We really want to dumb down what we're trying to get across with regards to recipe content and communicate to users I've made this a thousand times. I've made all the mistakes so that you don't have to make those mistakes yourself. And then that's what we're doing in the step-by-step -step section. After the step-by-step -step section, then we move down and we talk about expert tips and uh, FAQs. What does the user need to know to make sure that after they've got a handle on the ingredients, after they've got a handle on the step-by-step, -step, here's what they need to know to make sure that the recipe presents perfectly every time. And then after the FAQs and expert tips, Maybe we have a section on related recipes, something that's complementary to what we're serving. Maybe I end with a call to action. Then I have my recipe card, which is, a, again, a reiteration of all the steps, all the ingredients. I always tell people, make sure that if someone was just to come down and print out your recipe card, they have all the information they need to make this recipe perfectly. That's important. We want to make sure that it has good notes. One of the takeaways that we've seen when we've done all these usertesting.com studies is that users, uh, the average user, uh, the average person who's digesting this recipe content doesn't want to print out a novel. Uh, so uh, a recipe card should print out at one to two pages at most. Uh, if you're finding that your recipe cards are three to four pages, that's maybe a problem with your template. Or maybe you need to go in and start you know, streamlining what's in that card specifically. And, and just little things like that. And, and there, there, is our, there are as many ways to do a recipe as there are, honestly, stars in the sky. But once you get a nice template that works, you're going to be surprised at how much easier it is for those recipes to be crawled, algorithmically scored by Google, and rank competitively. And so there is a, an optimal approach to all of that. Love it, love it. Yeah, nice tips. Okay, um, let's talk about call to action. For example, um, where to submit this call to action? Because you mentioned uh, in the end of content, mm -hmm. uh, but you know, uh, eighty percent of users just open uh, <laughs> the beginning and uh, leave the website. Can you tell? Uh, do we need to uh, add uh, a few times call to action? Uh, because uh, I found that many websites can use a lot of call to actions. I don't know. Uh, it probably hurts. Uh, user experience or not, we don't know, but it's hard to uh, retain attention uh, to read the entire blog post uh, for users. Can you tell more about that? Uh, is it a good idea to submit a few times or uh, different types of call to action, or uh, it's better to uh, uh, share value and in the end to provide this call to action? Yeah, uh, a very good question. And again, with recipe posts specifically, our goal is to sell the user right at the top of the post why they should invest in the recipe. And we call that teaser text. So we might have teaser text at the top of the page, maybe a paragraph or two paragraphs at the most, where our goal is to communicate very clearly why our recipe is better than a million of other options out there. 
if I have a recipe, if you're presenting a recipe that can be made in less than 30 minutes, it's always a good idea to say that right up front. If you have a recipe that can be made with half the ingredients of another recipe, then maybe we say that again right there at the top. And then right below that, uh, the general accepted best practice is to have what are called jump or print recipe buttons. These jump or print recipe buttons are at the top of the post, which provides a very quick way for users to get down to the recipe card very quickly if they're in a hurry. Now, the reason that we have those is because we're always optimizing for user experience. So if someone's coming from Pinterest, maybe they have no desire to read the recipe, which is very common. So usually Pinterest and social traffic doesn't convert as well as Google algorithmic organic traffic. So those people will click on a jump button. They'll go down to the recipe card. They'll print it and they'll be off the site in a couple seconds. That's okay. That's fine. That's not a bad thing. That's just users getting exactly what they want. That's why it's very important that we provide a way for them to get down to the content fast. And that's why we make sure that the recipe card itself is fully optimized. That's why we have detailed notes and, and the rest of it. But our goal, our call to action is really at the top where we're selling people within this teaser text. And if they don't want to uh, go down and review the rest of the recipe, then we give them the option of jumping down to the recipe card and getting off the site and they can come back and review things at their own convenience. So we find that that's been very successful, both as a balance between having um, a good user experience and also as a balance between having decent RPMs for the average recipe site. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice, got it. Okay, uh, you mentioned a few times about experience. Can you tell how to provide this feeling that we have enough experience? Uh, even in the beginning, uh, you uh, told that um, authority is important, especially for new bloggers who want to jump on this field. Uh, and yeah, we, we can touch trust as well because we have this parameter, it expertise authority trust. Uh, can you tell how to provoke this feeling that uh, we have enough experience uh, to get this trust and uh, trust and authority? Well, the concept of EAT is incredibly misunderstood within the recipe and food blogging, recipe and lifestyle niche specifically. You know, you mentioned expertise, you mentioned authoritativeness, you mentioned trustworthiness. In many cases, the experience of a home cook is is pretty pretty good. I mean, as long as they're able to present the recipe in detail and show, hey, this is I've made this recipe a thousand times. Google doesn't really differentiate much between a home cook with uh, very good content and a graduate of a culinary school. Honestly, not. Expertise is really earned by based upon uh, external signals into the site. What we want to do is make sure that the content is just high quality, that the content loads fast, that we've provided a nice visual framework that communicates clear trustworthy signals. We want to have a clear picture of the author on the site, usually on the sidebar whenever we can. We want to have all of the author profile links linked, preferably to an optimized about me page. Mm -hmm. We have two components on the on a sample recipe or, or how to post. We have the post itself and then we have the card. Those are treated differently by Google. We have algorithms specifically focused on the algorithmic side, which is the organic listing of the recipe. And then we have the recipe card, which drives the carousel consideration. So when I'm optimizing a recipe post, we always need to look at the two components there. They work together and independently of each other. So I want to make sure that the recipe post itself is completely optimized, that I've got good quality descriptions, that I'm using headings correctly, that I haven't over-optimized, that it's very complete and detailed. But then for the recipe card, I also need to make sure that I've got linked author links that also go to an about me or customized author profile page that I've used the correctly sized image there, 1200 by 1200, that I've 
using a recipe plugin that's fully supported with all the necessary schema, that I provided good notes. All of those go hand in hand to making sure that the post itself is fully optimized and as a way to present the EAT component that we're trying to get off. As I mentioned, though, a lot of EAT comes down to how users perceive us. It's not necessarily anything we say, it's how others perceive us. So our goal is really making sure that we've provided a detailed recipe that asks and answers most of the user's questions whenever possible, but that we're also networking outside so that users can see, hey, I can be trusted. I, I, I have a fully enhanced recipe here. I have, uh, you can clearly see that there's a real person behind the site. I have a nicely fully fleshed out about me page, which links out to places where I've been featured or it shows my demonstrated expertise and the fact that I have these accreditations or whatever's necessary to get that across. And that all goes hand in hand to making sure that you, the author, are viewed trustworthy and that you're viewed as someone who I can trust this recipe with both internally and externally by Google and outside people visiting your site for the first time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, got it. Yeah, valuable. Okay, uh, can you tell more about your money, your life? What do you think uh, this parameter uh, can relate to this niche? Because, for example, uh, I have uh, a client uh, and he, uh, his website was uh, hit by your money, your life, uh, the financial niche, and we are trying to fix it now to increase trust and authority for this website. What do you think about uh, food industry? Because it's related to health, well, probably. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What do you think? No, your money or your life issues can be an issue with bloggers, but it's mostly when it's health related with regards to specific mm -hmm. diets. So if you're a gluten-free blogger, if you're a paleo blogger, if you're a blogger that has uh, an, uh, an autoimmune uh, deficiency or an autoimmune disease and your blog is focused on these AID recipes specifically, then it's very important that you always link out and support any statements that you're going to make. If you if you're not a trained professional, but maybe you have self-healed yourself by means of doing a specific diet, you can of course say that, but you can't give health advice. And I think that's where a lot of bloggers get hung up on is that anytime that we, we try to keep all the health statements off of a food blog whenever we can, unless it's just common sense, you know, hey, carrots are high and, you know, um, you know, vitamin B or vitamin K or whatever it is, and it's known to improve vision. And oh, by the way, here's an article covering that. Totally fine to say that, but if you have a post and you're saying, you know, I, I had a poor, uh, you know, a poor gut syndrome, or I've had an issues with my digestion, and I moved to this diet, and this is the dish that I prepare all the time because it works, because it has these benefits. We really have to be very careful with saying that. We 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 either have to link out to something that supports your statements, or you just don't say those statements. You can just say, this has worked for me. Maybe it will work for you, but most likely, you know, again, it's okay if it doesn't. It's not really supported by any health issues or something along those lines. So it's just important. Uh, the only time really bloggers, especially in the food industry, need to worry about this is if they're making statements that they can't support. They, Even if you're a trained nutritionalist or even if you are someone who has a master's degree in food science and nutrition, which honestly not uncommon in the food niche, they would still have to link out and support those statements as much as they can. They can't just make a flippant comment like that and, and hope that uh, it's going to be okay. Now, understand that with anything, with this concept of EAT, you know, it's based upon Google Quality Rater guidelines. Those are where we hope the index is going, okay? They're, they should be used more as a guide, not as some kind of a direct ranking impact for the average site.
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this guy says from Korea, but they want to learn more. more. <laughs> okay, uh, let's talk about um, the goal of creating content. Uh, the last time, uh, you know, um, uh, for example, if you want to get traffic, uh, that's okay. You know, I think it's the final goal, even to get sales mm-hmm. on this traffic. Sure. But what about uh, studies uh, to earn links? For example, some, uh, you know, the last time, uh, many marketers proclaim that you need to create content, uh, linkable content, when uh, you provide a strong reason to get links. Can you tell more about that? How to create this content plan for uh, this niche to earn links without, I don't know, outreach or uh, any other specific building techniques? Well, for the food and lifestyle niche, most of the link building materials or most of the most strategies to accumulate links are around the concept of roundups. Roundups are still a very popular mechanism by which bloggers work with other bloggers to showcase recipes on their site. Maybe they'll have a list of roundups, a list of recommended recipes taken from other sites, and they put that on their own site, and that leads to links from other bloggers. Or maybe you're sharing a roundup. Mother's Day is coming up, a great example. Maybe you have this is the top 15 brunch recipes for Mother's Day you should consider. It's going to be a very popular link building strategy for a lot of bloggers out there. Honestly, uh, link building is very, very tough in the recipe niche. The goal for you is really to go into Facebook and participate. A lot of the magic in the link building side happens on Facebook with various groups that people will go in and drop links to be featured in roundups or podcasts, again, are very popular. There are dozens, if not hundreds of podcasts around that focus on the food and lifestyle niche, that focus on the creator experience very popular ones out there like Eat Blog Talk. There's the Food Blogger Pro podcast. There's the Mindful, the, the Mindful podcast, Mindful Food podcast. There's lots of options out there for bloggers, and that's a way for them to increase their profile, generate some nice links, and get the word out there on their blog. But link building is very tough for the average blogger. They're either going to focus on link building, in other words, trying to mostly pull marketing. They're going to publish content like a roundup or maybe a detailed guide on ingredients, or maybe something specific, a background. Maybe if they're an Indian blogger, they're talking about various festivals that are coming up, and they're going to talk about the history of that festival. Maybe that would be a way for them to stand out. Maybe they provide some kind of a tool, uh, like a nutrition calculator, or a... uh, I know that measurements have always been very popular. We've had a lot of bloggers who've been able to do... Here's measurement conversion tools, and it's it's difficult. It's very competitive. But anything that you can think of that will pull those links in or pull those mentioned is certainly something to be thankful. You know, something to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Uh, okay. Let's talk about uh, creating uh, multimedia or uh, unique pictures. Uh, for example, um, I think that um, you know uh, when I check out uh, Instagram or even on LinkedIn, I found that many bloggers uh, share pictures to get high engagement. You know, uh, with some. Uh, new, delicious, I don't know, food. Uh, can you tell uh, how is it important to create unique pictures for that? Or we can use just uh, stock uh, platforms to get these pictures uh, to submit on your website? What do you think about that? Well, I'm certainly not against stock photography, but I don't find that it's very successful in the food niche specifically. Having very high quality, having very unique photography is one of the fastest 
and easiest ways to build traffic to your food blog. Uh, photography is something that we want to invest in as a new blog, as a new food blogger very quickly, making sure that you have highest meets needs photos, making sure that you understand how to shoot uh, process shots, making sure that you understand composition and what's relating with your audience. Very, very important for both new and experienced bloggers. So having unique photography, very, very important. I would find, I know that there are some people who sell photography packages for various recipes. I personally don't think that that's a great way to go. I don't find any value in that. I think a lot of bloggers do it as, you know, they're too busy and they're like, okay, maybe I'll, I'll buy this photography for this recipe from this other person. Not realizing that the other person has also shown sold the same package to five, six, or 10 other bloggers, which mm -hmm. is going to, of course, yeah. be a problem with that post specifically in the future. But yes, photography is very important. We want to have a unique image. We have a featured image in the post. Featured images mm -hmm. usually are about 1,200 pixels max width. The reason we want to have 1,200 pixels max width is to best qualify for Google Discover traffic. Google Discover is very fickle. We can have all of our images be 1,200 pixels max width, have very high-quality photos, have correctly dialed in alt text, captions surrounding content, and still do absolutely and have no success with Google Discover because there's really – Google Discover is kind of a black hole mystery. Yeah, some sites do great. Some sites do not. Some sites generate tons of traffic with web stories. Some sites generate no traffic at all with web stories. So it's a very – uh, it, it's it's a conundrum to say the least, but yeah, cannot stress that that enough. High quality photography, very very big part of both short term and long term success in the food and lifestyle niche. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, valuable. Okay, uh, can you tell how is important to uh, handle uh, social media uh, for uh, this niche? For example, I think uh, Instagram and Pinterest. You mentioned about uh, Pinterest before. Uh, yeah, it's a good place to. Uh, submit uh, the same content to get a uh, high engagement uh, and what do you think uh, does it help with seo for example if you have uh, a lot of followers on instagram or pinterest who are interested with your content and uh, lead him to the website or it, it doesn't concern seo at any ways because it's indirect factor what do you think it's a good question and again social media is very important in the recipe niche as a way to to replicate as a way to push out your content to a to a larger audience. Pinterest used to be the top dog in the niche, but it's basically a dumpster fire over the last couple of years. Traffic for most bloggers have been cut as much as 70 to 90%. Uh, most people try to focus on Facebook and as you said, Instagram. TikTok, of course, is also big in generating possible traffic. Uh, usually TikTok is used to find trends and then translate those trends into uh, again, trending recipes on the site specifically. Social signals themselves are not ranking factors. It doesn't matter if you have a big following on Instagram or Pinterest or anywhere else. That alone is not going to generate any sort of increased algorithmic benefit for you with Google. But social, of course, can lead to more traffic. Uh, it's a way for you to push out your content. If you have a larger social following, then maybe we can generate more shares. More shares lead to more links. Links, of course, are a ranking factor, so that might help you in that regard. But social media itself, not a ranking factor. We would, of course, want to use that to build our brand. We'd want to use that as a way to generate traffic and increase our, our, our own um, creator reputations. But it's not something that is, you know, uh, 
going to help you rank in Google as a direct factor, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, valuable. Okay, I have the question uh, about learning about this niche. Uh, can you share your tips from your experience? How to learn if someone wanna be an expert like you? you no, know, to know more about uh, this specific niche to provide great results. Where to start? What to learn? <laughs> where to jump? I, I, I know that you uh, get uh, a lot of results from your experience, but what? Uh, how you can? You know, for example, if you started today, uh, what would you do? Well, I would initially go in and I would consider possibly signing up with foodbloggerpro.com, which is the largest platform for uh, potential food and lifestyle bloggers. Food Blogger Pro is a, a great university. It's a, it's a paid platform that allows you to learn everything from photography to how to set up your blog to recipe writing to networking with hundreds, if not thousands of other bloggers, both, both uh, you know, new or experienced Pay for some education. Food Blogger Pro is a very good option for most bloggers. I have got a lot of free webinars. As a matter of fact, I have pages and pages of free webinars and podcasts. Just type in Casey Markey interview or Casey Markey podcast. Those cover years. I've pasted over the SEO for Publishers webinar series that I do in conjunction and in partnership with TopHatRank.com and uh, NerdPress, which is a big provider of blog support services in the food and lifestyle niche. We have about 22 of these webinars so far, and the webinars cover everything that you would need as a food or a lifestyle blogger. We cover everything from Google Analytics to Google Search Console to link building to recipe writing to SEO myths, uh, you name it. We've covered it. So if you're looking at a very quick 45 to 50-minute video and transcript that covers all of your top questions, absolutely check that out. There's also various courses that you could take. Uh, around, uh, I would say that some of them are several, several of them are hit and miss. But as I mentioned here for keywords, I definitely recommend the cooking with keywords course by Alika. I also recommend the eat your words ebook course, which is maintained by Laura and Sarah over at wondercooks.com. Lots of free information exists out there and make sure that you go and use a quality plugin. My top recommendation is WP recipe maker. Other plugins that operate in the niche that you could consider would be WP Tasty, which is put out by Pinch of Yum, which is also the very, uh, very successful established blog that is behind Food Blogger Pro as well. So that's an option for you. You also might want to consider a free plugin like Create from Mediavine, which is one of the two, which is one of the one of the larger ad providers within the food and lifestyle niche. Create is an okay plugin if you can't afford to buy a better plugin like WP Recipe Maker or uh, Tasty. The problem with Create is it's a very bloated plugin. You're literally generating like five times the photos that you need in that plugin, and it doesn't have as many of the bells and whistles as, say, a WP Recipe Maker or a Tasty. So whenever you can, again, your goal is to – this is a business. If your goal is to monetize, you want to invest in the best support, the best tools, the best dosing, the best training possible the sooner the better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I have the final question about monetization. Mm -hmm. Can you tell more how to monetize such types of blogs, you know, uh, to, I don't know, Google AdSense or uh, influence marketing, anything? Just provide more tips about that. So the thing about monetization is I know people want to monetize as soon as possible, but we find that that is historically a mistake. Your goal should be mm -hmm. to hold off monetizing until you can actually make a dent or actually make it worthwhile both from an RPM standpoint and from an SEO standpoint. 
I do not recommend ever using AdSense, especially for the food and lifestyle niche, because the hit against your page speed and UX is so terrible. You're literally doubling the amount of time it's going to take for you to qualify with a better ad company. I would like users to wait until they get to about 50,000 sessions a month before they can monetize with a, with a Mediavine or someone else. You could, you could conceivably consider going with She Media, which is much better than they were just two years ago. But you, like with most ad companies, you really have to be on their ass about making sure that they're optimizing their ads for speed. She Media is a lot better, but it takes you multiple emails to get them on board. So you have to make sure that they're lazy loading their ad, that they've optimized everything as much as they can. When you get up to the Mediavine and the AdThrive level of 50,000 and 100,000 sessions a month, the technology is relatively dialed in. Uh, Mediavine is quite a bit better in that aspect than, say, AdThrive. AdThrive likes to just push a, a serious loading of their ads when we really want deferred ad loading whenever much as possible. We want the content to pop in before the ads when at all possible, not the other way around. So do not believe that you don't need to turn on deferred ad loading if you're with AdThrive. You absolutely should. So again, monetization is very important. We want to do that, but we find that it's best to hold out till you can qualify for a top tier company. I don't necessarily want you to consider signing up with something with like uh, Monumetric or maybe even Ezoic or one of the smaller ad companies because you're just not going to get the biggest bang for your buck. You're going to make pennies on the dollar and it's going to take you that much longer to qualify for a larger end network, whether it's a, a she media or a media vine or an ad drive or someone else out there. So valuable. Yeah. I agree with that. You know, I completely agree with that, you know, uh, because, you know, uh, I know from personal experience, you don't need to uh, chase, uh, uh, big results, you know, uh, for a exactly. few days, weeks, even months. Just build your audience, share value, help others, and mm -hmm. when the right will come, yeah, I think you will find time to monetize. Okay, Casey, it's a big pleasure to get on my show, to learn a lot from you. Uh, tell how people can reach out to you, learn more about you, follow you. Absolutely. They can type in MediaWise, M-E-D-I-A, uh, W-Y is in yellow, S-E into Google. I'll pop right up. And uh, I've killed every other Casey Marquee in the world, so there are no others that exist. If you go into Google, I, I own the first 10 pages, so happy to have you take a look at some of the many free resources I've shared there. Uh, try to make our Top Hat Rank uh, webinars, the uh, SEO for Publishers series. They are by far the best option out there. They are incredibly detailed. We have experts every week, not just ourselves. Uh, this is uh, very helpful for the new or the experienced blogger. So, uh, and follow me on Twitter, uh, media-wise. And thank you so much for having me today. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Okay, guys, you can find all these links in the description below. Listen to us on Apple, Google, Spotify. Thanks again for your time. Yeah, it's a big pleasure. And guys, you need to uh, to find uh, Casey to learn from his webinars, from his courses, from uh, everything. And just a big pleasure if you tell that uh, you found Casey uh, because of watching or listening to this webinar. Okay, guys, thank you. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.